Welcome to the Utah Episcopalians. Now, this is the podcast of the Diocese of Utah, where we look at our church, our unique church, in our land, which is a unique land. And we talk about topics and issues that not only face the Episcopal Church, but face people in general and what we can do as a faith-based community. And today, we're going to be talking about love. After all, this is the month of love where we celebrate Valentine's Day. And it's also just a good time to talk about what love has to do with faith. I think every one of our first experiences with faith is learning that children's song, Jesus loves you, yes I know, or loves me, yes I know, because the Bible tells me so. Well, our authority on all this today is the Reverend Michael Carney, who is vicar of St. Elizabeth's Church in White Rocks, and a student of what the presiding bishop has talked about love. With all that in mind, I have to ask you, what does that mean, Jesus loves me, yes I know? Let's start right there. Well, thank you, Craig. It's great to be here. And uh, uh, that's high praise to call me an expert on love. Um, <laughs> uh, you should check with my wife first before you uh, make any grandiose claims. Jesus loves me. That, that's such a deeply felt experience of so many people. And it's so hard to talk about. It's so hard to define it. Um, and uh, I think there's no question that there are different kinds of love, different expressions of love. And I think it's helpful to look at that. And uh, just to point back to what you said about Bishop Curry, I have been a student of his podcast for sure. And uh, he talks so eloquently and movingly about a beloved community especially in the Gospel of John, uh, uh, an image of who we can be as a people together. And I think that's one of the most powerful forms of love. And of course, uh, Bishop Curry, we should always remind that is the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church and that we as a diocese are part of the Episcopal Church, so he is our presiding bishop. And he talks about the way of love. Now, mm -hmm. I think there are people that sit in the pews and they say, okay, that's all right for that next person who has a happy family in their mm -hmm. perception or perhaps has a spouse or a partner. And they're saying, you know, I'm a widow or I'm a widower or I just have lost a partner or something. How do I fit in? How do I feel love? And, and what is Bishop Curry and your feeling that everyone who's in those pews is told that they are loved, but sometimes they don't feel it? Um, I think that's a very real situation. There are so many sad things that happen in people's lives and in the world around us. And um, when we're down, when we've taken a blow, when when we're in a really tough situation, it's awfully hard to feel God's love in the abstract. And I think so often, just the presence of a person who cares, who takes the time to be with us, to listen to us, to sympathize, to pray with us, I think that can be the most powerful demonstration of love 
and one that people can really feel and hear in that moment. I know that um, presiding Bishop uh, Curry, uh, who loves to be called Bishop Curry, he is not a person that you have to address yeah, as presiding yeah. bishop, by the way, um, that he describes that love as being very powerful and not necessarily like you say a spouse or something it mm -hmm. is a love of the community mm -hmm. you want to go into that a little bit um, that as we define that word love and maybe the biblical reference to Jesus talked about loving his disciples in that same sort of way did we kind of lose that over the years as we just didn't talk about love as much as the presiding bishop does you know, one of my um, other favorite podcasters is Krista Tippett from On Being. And she talks about how, uh, how our language has become trivialized. And love is almost always the first example she gives of that. So I'd like to uh, take a trip back down the halls of the seminary where I spent three years and talk about what the Bible says about love. It was not written in English, right? The Correct. New Testament was written in an ancient form of Greek. And there are three different words that we translate as love. One is eros, romantic love. So Bishop Curry is best known in the world for uh, preaching at a royal marriage, right? Uh, a, a great celebration of romantic love or eros. The second word is philia like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love or sisterly love. So think about a dear friend you have, someone that you really know is there for you, someone who uh, has known you and you, know, you can count on them in any situation, someone that you would call or text at midnight if you were feeling down and they would never complain. They would take the call or answer the text, right? The third word is agape and that's the best way I can express that is that's God's love self-giving love unconditional merciful love love that never quits coming love that it it, it gives more than it takes and so when we talk about Jesus loves me I mean Jesus is a friend, sure. He's not a romantic partner. But Jesus is the one who gave himself for and to every one of us. Jesus always reached out to help the people who were most in need. And I think it's that agape love that is the most transforming in our world. Um, friendship is critically important and it's you know, there's so many lonely people in our world today who just don't have time for friends. And romantic relationships of all kinds are really important, but we know that they're really stressed in this world today too. Agape builds up the whole community so that we can really be beloved to one another and so that we can take love beyond a, a good feeling to the level of justice and reconciliation and real profound peacemaking in the world. 
I don't have to go too far through the newspaper or listen to much of to television news before we realize that we are in a time today that perhaps that word love mm. isn't used a lot. We are in a very divisive time. Yeah. Is this a time that we really need to be talking about love? And, you know, are we past that point where it's going to make a difference, where love would make a difference? I know the presiding bishop would say, no, this is the time we need it, but what's your feeling on that? I think the actions have to come first. I think it's something we need to show people, we need to live before we can, before the speech can have any meaning. Um, I think to, uh, uh, back to raising teenagers and relationships with teenagers. You know, teenagers don't want to hear their parents talk about, you know, any profound thoughts. They don't want to hear them uh, espousing high ideals, but they watch. They really see how their parents live. They watch them in all kinds of situations. They see how they act when they're stressed out or when they're uh, having a rough time at work or whatever it is. And I think that's the witness to love that we need to that we need to show the world. And I think when we connect with people in that way, through our actions and our witness, then maybe there's an opportunity to have a conversation that reflects on that. And maybe the word love can gain a little of its value back. Even going back a little bit more than how we demonstrate it, I know I have to say, that there are times I will look at the news and my other life is being in the news, of course, uh, and I find myself saying, how can I develop love over what's going on? That I'm having trouble at times and I'm sure I'm not alone with whether it's politics, whether it's looking at some of the things going on in this world of trying to find love. What's your advice? <laughs> you know, I mean, before I demonstrate it, I have to believe it. Yeah. What yeah. can I do as a Episcopalian or as a person of faith to really train myself so that I can absorb it myself? Because there are times I, I say, what is it? I can't find that word when it comes to even politics at times. Mm -hmm. I think there's a great power in sharing our stories and listening to one another. Um, last evening at dinner, I heard a wonderful story from my colleague, uh, Reverend Charles Robinson from Park City. And they have, a, I, I think the last 12 years, they've had a series of public conversations about all kinds of topics. And they've had three conversations this year that uh, I believe they call them red and blue yes, conversations. And, and the word angel fits in there too. Yes, yes. yes. I'm over I, at St. Luke's in Park yeah. City, by the way, which take a look at their website if you want to get involved in that. Uh, we've had a discussion on our podcast 
and and certainly Charles Robinson is is a master at this. Mm -hmm. I admire his work greatly, as does you. So so. Charles said there had been three of these gatherings so far this year and another one coming up, and someone asked him, what is it like? And he said, they're all exactly the same. You get 15 or 20 people in a room together who self-identify as being really different, and they're all really anxious. And uh, he said, we go around and introduce themselves, and I ask them three questions. What's your name? Where are you from? Why are you here? And they go around the circle and each one identifies themselves in that way. And he said, then I and a co-facilitator, we, we guide a conversation forward among these people. And every single time at the end of the evening, people are saying, wow, that was fine. You know, that wasn't as bad as I thought it might be. I was anxious about how it might turn out. Now that's a small group, but boy, what an important seed. And uh, um, not to be too grandiose, but you know, Jesus worked with a really small group in the beginning, and it spread in powerful ways. Um, if we can f find or create a safe space to really hear each other's stories, I think that's a powerful expression of love, to care that much about someone else, that you listen in a way that you're not thinking about how you're going to argue with them. You're not putting them down in your mind. You're really taking in what they say and who they are and uh, trying to, being open to connecting with them. In faith tradition, we kind of got away from talking about that word love. Mm. It became kind of like, oh, that's a little touchy-feely, you know, and, and we were trying to be relevant in today's world <laughs> and and um, not just the Episcopal Church not just any uh, other religions but we just sort of like okay love was kind of um, oh I don't know it was kind of messy to talk about and mm -hmm. we want to talk about being relevant in today's world did we kind of get away from what's a basic teaching of Jesus in some ways do you think um, I think love can be very relevant, but depending on how we approach it. Um, one of the things I've heard Bishop Curry say is that he proclaims a powerful kind of love that transforms the world. So if we're concerned, for example, with climate change, as we should all be, um, a loving response to that is to really engage in an honest way as a community around this whole, pro whole problem and advocate for uh, steps that um, are more respectful and appreciative of the gift of creation that we've been given and can help all of God's people and especially the people who are in greatest need to have better lives in the world. Um, I think there are many justice concerns. Uh, Martin Luther King and the Southern Freedom Movement, you know, was a, an expression of love that was not wishy-washy in any way. It was, and it was that self-giving, self-sacrificing love that was, never prov was not provoked to violence toward the 
resistors, the ones who resisted the movement, but just a consistent witness to what's just and fair for all of God's people. Why is it so hard to accept love? You talk about mm. Dr. Martin Luther King, who just everything he did, every speech was about love, and people became angry. People that, that fought that. Um, you take a look at Mahatma Gandhi and the various mm -hmm. things. Look what happened to so many of the people who preached, who lived love, that there were, they were rejected, often killed, assassinated. Why is love so hard to accept? It occurs to me that the opposite of love is not even hate, it's fear. And there are so many people in our country who live in fear. And Craig, you've done such wonderful work in media. I hope you won't take this personally. But more and more today, I see the media just as its primary tactic and approach to stir up fear in people. To If they get a fearful emotional response, their viewership or readership or whatever it is goes up, they get attention, politicians get attention that way. Um, it's apparently an effective technique for getting people's attention in the short term. How do we sit with fear? How do we get beyond that? Because it's a horrible feeling to be consumed by fear. I don't think buying a gun helps. I don't think uh, angry speech helps us to feel less fearful. I don't think Interpersonal conflict makes it better, but it's really hard to know where to begin. It's so hard. And even sometimes in our closest families, we have differences that uh, polarize people and make it hard to, uh, you know, uh, got to be careful what you talk about at the holiday dinner table, right? I mean, uh, so I admire Charles in a local way and so many others in other ways who um, are finding ways to begin loving conversations, not romantic or even buddy-buddy, but simply respectful listening. Wow, very powerful, and particularly as we live in a world of politics of fears often, and I should be reminding us all that we're listening to the Utah Podcapalians, which is a podcast of the Diocese of Utah. I'm Craig Wirth of the Diocese, and a really special guest is the Reverend Michael Carney, who is the vicar of St. Elizabeth's in White Rocks. White Rocks is probably not the first city people think of when they think <laughs> of Utah, and it's located in just a very beautiful basin uh, and uh, on the Ute Reservation. And that's a good time to, if we're going to talk about community and love. I know that your community of St. Elizabeth's and among the Ute people, 
um, has had to really, if there ever was a, a group of people that you talk about reconciliation towards others, forgiveness, mm -hmm. you talk about um, building a sense of love where perhaps um, there should have been other emotions that could have been prevalent. Why do you, and, and maybe that a good place to start is tell me a little bit about the community because I know the community in observation of um, conferences you have been to uh, and among your community that you serve, the word love is so prevalent and the word respect and when people could say if there ever was a group of people that could have had other emotions, it is the community you serve. No question about that. Um, well, I feel really blessed to have entered into this community, my wife and I. Um, when we first came, people were really curious about our stories and they watched us in action. I think the fact that I really enjoy and have experience in working with youth and children really helped me find a way in because that's the greatest concern of that community is for their children and youth. From the elders to the tribal chair to the church leaders, everyone agrees that's the number one concern. And we show our love by showing up with and for the young people and we put a lot of energy into our programs with them. As we were there longer, people began to share their stories with us. And that is such a deep honor. Um, because I'd been doing some reading, and uh, many of you know Forrest Kutch in our congregation, who's a historian. Um, the last 150 years, 160 years for the Utes are just a series of awful circumstances, rarely, which they rarely had anything to do with or any responsibility for. They have been abused and uh, 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 put in play, a position of disadvantage in so many different ways. And there's a built-up trauma that gets passed from generation to generation that I think is really connected with the very high level of alcohol and drug abuse among young adults and, uh, you know, just a lot of troubles in families and hard times for kids. I see the grandmothers and even the great-grandmothers, taking in kids who need a place to be. Um, in our church and certainly in our community, there are multiple grandmothers and great-grandmothers who have stepped in for the younger parents who are not able or who are, who are not serving their role as parents. And... Uh, when I talked about agape love, self-giving love, unconditionally forgiving, I don't hear these grandmothers railing in anger against the younger adults. I see them being a bedrock of love for the young people growing up. And it, it can't be easy when you're 70 or 80 years old to have young kids in the house or teenagers um, and keep up with them and take them to all their activities. Um, 
pay for their activities. You know, I mean, they're, you know, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing at all. And, and um, I am just deeply inspired by that. And the church, uh, you know, when I'd been there about a year and a half, we had a, a bishop's committee, a little governing board of native people. And one month when we were meeting, I asked them, all right, we have this great ministry with children and youth, arts kids, arts teens. What more could we do? And there was this silence like, oh, yeah, we could do more. I mean, we're not big in numbers, but... Um, and Becca Gardner, who is our youth leader now, she said, let's get the three churches out here together and have a picnic and invite the bishop. And we did that, and it went off really well. And then she said, let's put on a holiday meal for the whole community. We'll invite everybody. And I thought, oh, my. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I said, well, uh, mm, we could raise some money and cater it. And she uh, sat for a minute and she said, we don't want that funeral food. We're going to cook all of this ourselves. And we, uh, we served over 100 people um, food that our members cooked. And we had food left over. Because what she knew from being a member of the community lifelong is that there's so much distrust and alienation that comes out of their historical trauma that just getting people to sit down in the same room and share a meal was really an important step forward. And getting people from the three Episcopal churches and Bishop Hayashi, uh, you know, preaching and playing his guitar and, uh, you know, those were wonderful, wonderful times. And uh, we've also, another thing that we've done, um, we're really strongly supportive of recovery. And so we sponsor an AA meeting and we do lots of small things uh, in the way of mentoring to help. We have a whole bunch of young adults who are struggling with sobriety and, uh, and older adults who have been there and um, have grown beyond that and are able to be helpful to them without being, uh, without dismissing them when they slip, just calling them back, calling them back. I think that's that kind of faithfulness in love that um, is beyond friendship and it's beyond romance. It's, it's a little piece of who God is for all of us. And it's a, it's a way to follow Jesus in, in, and really, Bishop Curry says, love will change the world. And he doesn't mean romance. He means this deeper, self-giving, justice-seeking, reconciling love. Respect, dignity, all become components of love. Um, we just have a little time left, and, and I'm, again, so grateful for your wisdom that you have imparted and, and um, speaking from firsthand stories uh, in your ministry and Forrest Kutch who is a remarkable, oh, remarkable amazing. person and very active in, I know, St. Elizabeth's. Um, in our last moments, um, do you see that it's the 
love of the children that's going to save us. We talk about saving. We talk about Jesus saving. And we have to look for those areas that Jesus does save. Is it going to be with emphasis of love for the children? Our first years are so deeply formative of who we are as people. And kids who are abused or who are insecure, um, who are, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, people can spend the rest of their lives trying to catch up with that. We're, we're sitting in the studio with Haley Oliver doing the technical side, and uh, her daughter Vera, a little over two years, she has always known that she's loved. She'll always carry that with her. So I think um, whatever we can do to help young children feel that sense that someone loves them, that they are loved, that they are lovable, um, it's going to help them all their lives. And we need to keep at that work because there are so many wounded people in our world. And there's so much injustice around us. Um, it's really, really critical for us to keep at that work and wherever we find ourselves to be agents of love. And you know, one of the things I love the most about Bishop Curry, he's a super public guy, right? He oh, goes no everywhere. Millions of people have had a selfie with Bishop Curry. Um, he makes us feel that it really makes a difference. That the small things we do make a difference in the world. And that's one reason I love being part of the Episcopal Church. Well, and with that, I, I should say, if you want to experience remarkable ministry in action, it's a wonderful place to visit, St. Elizabeth's in White Rocks, Utah. You're probably going to have to look it up on your GPS, <laughs> and you're still going to have to plan an extra half hour because you're going to get lost. But it will be a remarkable way to spend a Sunday in the community of St. Elizabeth's and see love as its practice. And you've been remarkable guest with your sharing of very, very intimate stories. We deeply appreciate it, and you have been listening to the Utah Episcopalians, a podcast of the Diocese of Utah. Our special guest, once again, is the Reverend Michael Carney, who is the vicar of St. Elizabeth's in White Rocks. As aforementioned, I'm Craig Worth of the Diocese. Thanks for listening.